0: Welcome back to the History of Arda podcast. We are your hosts. I am Dean. And I am still Eric Blair. That is a relief. Thank Varda.
1: Thank (laughs) Illuvatar. Get your gods right, goddammit.
0: So we left on a very dramatic cliffhanger last time. Um, Ungoliant, the great spider, and uh, Melkor... Um, soon to be known as Morgoth, um, just attacked um, the two trees of Valinor.
1: That's right. They went after the sticks with leaves.
0: <laughs> wow, yeah. That was a, that was a shocker. And uh, this episode's going to carry right on into the... continue the drama. So we, we jump right to the Valar, who are now gathered in the Ring of Doom sitting in shadow, for it's very dark now that the two trees have been slaughtered. Um, Manwe blows away the vapors of death with his winds, and uh, Ivana stands upon the green mound, which is now bare and black, and she lays her hands on the trees, but they're dead and dark, and every branch she touches breaks and falls lifeless at her feet. And there's, there are many voices of lamentation, and it seems to those uh, that are mourning that they have drained to the dregs the cup of woe that Melchor had filled for them. But it was not so. It's going to get worse. So Yavanna says to the rest of the Valar um, that the light of the trees is not going to come back now, and the light has only been preserved in the Silmarils that Feanor has created. And, uh... She says, "This the, the the two trees are something that I put so much of myself into that they can only happen once. I can't just recreate this. Um, but if I had a little bit of the light that's contained in the Silmarils, perhaps there's something I could do. Maybe I could restore the roots before they finish decaying, and the hurt will be healed and the malice of Melkor confounded. Samanwe so says to Feanor, who is here with them at the Ring of Doom, do you hear this? Are you going to give her the Silmarils, and there's this long silence, and Feanor doesn't say anything. And Tolkis gets impatient, and he says, speak, O Noldor, yea or nay, but who shall deny Yavanna? And did not the light of the Silmarils come from her work in the beginning? You know, basically, like, <laughs> it's you borrowed her light. You may have created these gems, but you didn't create the light, um, the living light that is inside of them. Aule speaks up for Feanor, and he says, slow down. You don't know what you're asking. (laughs) The god of the smiths understands how much love you can pour into something you create, so let him think about it. So then Feanor finally replies uh, bitterly, um, you know, Yovana, how you just said that there are certain things you can only do once. It takes so much out of you. You'll never be able to reach that level again. Um, that That's the Silmarils for me. Yeah, I can unlock my jewels, but I will never make their like again. And if I have to break them, I break my heart, and I will die. And I'll be the first of the Eldar in the land of the gods to be slain um, by your will. And Mandos, all creepy in the corner, says, not the first. They didn't understand what he meant. So there's silence again. Feanor stands there brooding in the dark, and it seems to Feanor like he's surrounded by enemies at this point. And he remembers the words of Melkor. He remembers that Melkor told him the Silmarils are not safe. The Valar want them. They'll try to take them from you. And he remembers, like in origin, Melkor is one of the Valar, or was originally. And of course, that means he would understand their hearts better than anyone. Maybe there was some truth to this. A thief will reveal thieves. So he says, I'm not going to give you the Silmarils of my free will, but if you constrain me and you take them from me, then I'll know that Melkor is of your kindred. (laughs) And Mondos says, Thou hast spoken. You know, Mondos, the doom giver. And so Nienna, goddess of mourning, uh, arises and goes to the mound where the trees are now dead. She takes back her gray hood and with her tears, the same tears that gave life to the two trees in the beginning, she washes away the defilements of Ungoliant, and she sings in mourning for the bitterness of the world and the marring of Arda. And even as she is singing this song of mourning, Mandos's words a moment ago are explained, because these messengers come for, from Formenos, the fortress where Feanor was keeping all of his gems and his Silmarils and his father and his people were all at. These messengers come from Formenos and they say you'll never believe what happened. (laughs) A blind darkness came northward and in the midst of it there walked some power for which there was no name and darkness issued from it but Melkor was also there right and they're talking about Melkor and Ungoliant and he came to the house of Feanor and he slew Finwë." king of the Noldor, before his doors and spilled the first blood in the blessed realm. He killed Feanor's father. For Finwë was the only one who didn't flee in terror. All the other people of Feanor got the hell out of there. Um, Melkor broke the stronghold of Formenos and he took all of the jewels of the Noldor that were hoarded in that place, including the Silmarils. So Feanor stands up he lifts up his hand before Manwe, and he curses Melkor, and this is where he gives him the name Morgoth, the black foe of the world. And that is the name uh, he, the great enemy will be known by ever after. He also curses the day that Manwe, you know, summoned all of the elves um, to come to Taniquetil for this feast, right? Because he thinks if I had just been there, at, at home, with my father, maybe I could have done something. Originally, Melkor had the plan to kill Feanor at Formenos too. He was going to kill Feanor, kill Finway his father, take the Silmarils. So Feanor doesn't realize, like he thinks he might have stood a chance against Melkor, but really he probably would have just been killed but he runs now from the ring of doom he flees into the night and it says his father was dearer to him than the light of valinor or the peerless works of his hands he loved his father more than he loved the light of the gods or anything he had ever created right and who among sons of elves or of men have held their fathers of greater worth so there were all, uh, there were many who grieve for feanor's anguish at this point but He wasn't the only one who lost something. Yavanna is standing weeping by the dead trees, and uh, she's fearing that the darkness will now swallow the last rays of the light of Valinor forever. They know that Melkor has called upon some evil power beyond the realm of Arda, which took the form of Ungoliant, and the Silmarils are gone now. So meanwhile... Morgoth and Ungolians are fleeing north, um, through a place called Araman, which is on the eastern coast of the continent of Amman. It's a wasteland, um, north of the Swan Havens, and they're passing from there into the Hel Karakse, which is the grinding ice, and it's sort of an ice bridge that connects Amman back to Middle-earth. And, um, it's a very treacherous way for mortals to try to pass across. In fact, I'm not sure that any one mortal could make it. Um elves stand a chance, but um so they're they're crossing the the grinding ice and they come back into the north of Middle-earth. Um and if you remember back to when uh Morgoth. We're we're going to be calling him Morgoth from now on. If you remember when Morgoth was in power, he created his first stronghold of Utumno in the north, but he also created a second sort of uh, smaller stronghold called Angband on the western coast. Utumno was utterly destroyed um, in one of the battles that the Valar have with uh, Morgoth. He can't go back there anymore. Um, but Angband has not been totally destroyed, apparently, because um, he's he's making to go there again. And um, Ungoliant realizes what he's up to, that he's going to try to get back to his fortress and escape from her. And if you remember, um, Sauron, uh, his first lieutenant, was never found when they conquered Morgoth three ages in the past. Um, so it's very possible that Sauron was biding his time in Angband this this whole time, this place where Morgoth is now headed. But Ongolian calls him out and says, "Blackheart, I've done everything you ask, but I I'm still hungry, right?" And he says, "What else do you want? Do you want all of the world for your belly? I did not promise you all of the world. I am the Lord of the world, right?" He says, "No, I don't want the whole world, but you have a great treasure from Formenos. I will have all of that." with both hands, you shall give it. Remember, you promised that you would give with both hands. So he starts giving her all of the gems that he took from Formenos. And remember, the Noldor were the most skilled at creating these these beautiful, just astonishingly beautiful gems. And he's giving them to her, you know, and she's devouring them and their beauty is perishing from the world. And she's getting even huger and darker, right? Um, But still, she is hungry and she says, you're only giving me with one hand, with your left only, what's in your right hand? And of course, in his right hand, he's holding the three Silmarils and they are still locked in this crystal casket, right? So they're not touching directly to, I guess, his skin. But nevertheless, I guess he's so evil (laughs) that they're burning him right through the casket and he's in agony holding these things. And yet, he still won't open it. He won't give them to her. And he says, "No, you've already you've already gotten everything that I owe you. Um, I don't need you anymore. You will not have these. Uh, you won't even see them. I name them unto myself forever." But Uncle Ian has grown so giant and terrifying at this point. Uh, and he is losing more and more power as this whole scenario has gone on. So she turns on him now. It's the fight of the thieves. She closes a, a, a cloud around him and amneshes him in a web of clinging thongs to strangle him. And then he sends out this terrible cry, which spreads out all across Middle-earth. And forever after, the area where this fight takes place is going to be called Lamoth. So, uh, That cry reaches all the way into the deep, dark, forgotten places in the earth, including Angband, the fortress where he was headed, and Balrogs living down in the depths hear his cry of pain, and they come marching out like an army, and uh, they pass to Lammoth like a tempest of fire, and with whips of flame, they rip apart the webs of Ungoliant and she quails and turns to flee and belches black vapor all over to cover herself. And she goes to a place uh, beneath Ered Gorgoroth, a land that would be called Nandungortheb or in English, the Valley of Dreadful Death because of the horror that she bred there. So she escapes from Melkor, or Morgoth, and his Balrogs, but she finds a little place under the mountains in the center of Beleriand to start breeding more monsters like her. Uh, Other foul creatures of spider form um, had been there uh, since the days that Morgoth created Angband. And so Ungoliant goes amongst them and uh, she breeds with them and she has offspring and so on, and as you can guess, her her lineage descends all the way down to Shelob from the Lord of the Rings. We don't know what happens uh, to Ungoliant in the end. Um, at some point she left the valley of dreadful death and fled south and was never seen again, um, but some have said that she ended long ago and in her uttermost famine she devoured herself at last. So, the fear of Yavanna that the Silmarils would be swallowed up and fall into nothingness did not come to pass, right? Because Melkor uh, took them. And uh, he gathers all the servants that he can find and he comes to the ruins of Angband and he. Delves anew vast vaults and dungeons, and he rears up this mountain range around the, the, um, his strongholds, the mountains called Sangoro Dream. And sometimes you'll hear um, his stronghold referred to by either name Angban being the fortress itself, and Sangoro Dream being these tall mountains he raises up. Um, so when we say Morgoth is issuing from Thangorodrim, it just means he's coming out from his primary fortress. So he brings beasts and demons and um, the race of the orcs and, uh, into this stronghold. And uh, this is going to be uh, his primary place of operation from here on out. Um, he goes down and forges himself. A great crown of iron and he calls himself king of the world and he puts the three silmarils in this iron crown and he burns his hands black by the touch of the jewels and his hands will be black forever after because of touching them and he will never be free from the pain of that burning and the anger of the pain but he would never take the crown off of his head even though its weight becomes a deadly weariness Um, and he's never going to really depart from Angband again, except for one more time. Um, this is really, he's going to have everyone else doing his bidding from here on out. Um, and he's going to issue more of his power into the things that he's, uh, manipulating than going out to do single combat or anything again. So uh, even more than in the days uh, of his first fortress, uh, his pride was humbled, his hatred devoured him, and in the domination of his servants and the inspiring of them with lust of evil, he spent his spirit. Um, nonetheless, his majesty, as you know, he's still one of the Valar, his majesty long remained, though now it was turned to terror. And before his face, all save the mightiest sank into a dark pit of fear. So now it's known that Morgoth has escaped from Valinor, and we're not going to be able to chase him down. Uh, Orome and Tulkas tried, but were ensnared in webs and couldn't get close to him. So the Valar are long seated in darkness in the Ring of Doom, and the Maiar and the High Elves, the Vanyar, are standing beside them and weeping. But the Noldor, for the most part, go back to their city uh, in the cleft in the mountains, Tirion and they mourn for the darkening of their city. And then, suddenly, Feanor appears in the city of Tyrion, and he calls on everybody to come to him at the high court of the king on the summit of the hill. Um, Now, remember, he was banished, and that banishment had not yet been lifted, so even showing up there, he's going against the will of the Valar. And this great crowd gathers around him to hear what he's going to say. And everyone is bearing torches, so it also sets this atmosphere of like (laughs) revolution and uh, that that eerie light. You know, we know the light of the two trees, which is shown for countless years at this point on the city. Everything is dark, so instead we have we're lit by the light of torches. It says Feanor is a master of words, and his tongue had great power over hearts when he would use it. And that night he made a speech before the Noldor, which they ever remembered fierce and fell were his words and filled with anger and pride and hearing them the noldor were stirred to madness his wrath and his hate were given most to morgoth and yet well nigh all that he said came from the very lies of morgoth himself but he was distraught with grief for the slaying of his father and with anguish for the rape of the silmarils he claimed now the kingship of all the Noldor since Finwë, his father, was dead, and he scorned the decrees of the Valar. So now that we have set the scene, let us go there. Let us stand in the city of Tyrion, in the midst of the crowds, amidst the flickering torchlight, let us listen to the speech of Feanor to the people of Tirion.
1: Why, O people of the Noldor, why should we longer serve the jealous Valar, who cannot keep us nor even their own realm secure from their enemy? And though he be now their foe, are not they and he of one kin? Vengeance calls me hence, but even were it otherwise, I would not dwell longer in the same land with the kin of my father's slayer, and of the thief of my treasure. Yet I am not the only valiant in this valiant people. And have ye not all lost your king? And what else have ye not lost, cooped here in the narrow land between the mountains and the sea? Here once was light that the Valar begrudged to Middle Earth, but now dark levels all. Shall we mourn here, deedless, forever, a shadow folk, mist haunting, dropping vain tears in a thankless sea, or shall we return to our home? In Quivienen, sweet ran the waters under unclouded stars, and wide lands lay about where a free people might walk. There they lie still and await us, who in our folly forsook them. Come away! Let the cowards keep the city!
0: Long he spoke, and ever he urged the Noldor to follow him and by their own prowess to win freedom and great realms in the lands of the east before it was too late. For he echoed the lies of Melkor, that the Valar had cozened them and would hold them captive so that men might rule in Middle-earth. Many of the Eldar heard then for the first time of the aftercomers.
1: Fair shall the end be, though long and hard shall be the road. Say farewell to bondage, but say farewell also to ease. Say farewell to the weak. Say farewell to your treasures. More still shall we make. Journey light, but bring with you your swords. For we will go further than Orome, endure longer than Tulkas. We will never turn back from pursuit after Morgoth to the ends of the earth. War shall he have and hatred undying. But when we have conquered and have regained the Silmarils, then we and we alone shall be lords of the unsullied light and masters of the bliss and beauty of Arda. No other race shall oust us.
0: Then Feanor swore a terrible oath. His seven sons leapt straightway to his side and took the selfsame vow together, and red as blood shone their drawn swords in the glare of the torches. They swore an oath which none shall break and none should take. Be he foe or friend,
2: be he foul or clean, Broodborghoff or Bragval,
0: Eldar or Maya or Aftercomer.
2: Man yet unborn upon Middle-earth, neither law nor love nor leader of swords, dread nor danger, not doom itself, shall defend him from Feanor and Feyenoord's king. Whoso hideth, or hoardeth, or in hand taketh,